You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Uh, What your experience of teaching around the subject of the person of the Holy Spirit um, has been growing up. I, you know, grew up in a very... um, uh, conservative Baptist church tradition, um, and so the Holy Spirit is referenced, but ne- not necessarily taught on a lot. Um, whereas my grandparents, uh, they they kind of did an extreme. They went from a Methodist church to a very very charismatic uh, church in Baton Rouge, and I remember attending there with them and just thinking how vastly different my experience was um, of uh, of those things. And it's interesting to uh, get a little bit of perspective on church history, uh, specifically Western church history. In uh, how like different denominational groups and uh, uh, and uh, those kind of things came about. Does anybody know what movement the Pentecostal Church spurred out of? Anybody know? Say again. Protestant Reformation. Yeah, they are Protestant Reformation. But before that, which specific denominational group? I found it really fascinating. It was the Methodists. You guys familiar with the Methodists? Um, I mean, depending on where you grew up, uh, you know, Baptists and Methodists were kind of semi-interchangeable, and they just fought with whoever could get out of church early enough to get to the Piccadilly faster. That was the that was the main you know main big difference. But uh, Methodism, John Wesley was the the founder of that, uh, and the the Methodists got their name because of their method of holiness, that they would practice a particular method, um, believing that if you practice this way, that you could in this life, attain perfect sanctification. So when we, again, I'm using a lot of churchy terms here, but I'm just trusting you guys are following me on this, right? You, When you get saved, you are justified, made just as if you had never sinned. That's the work of salvation, what Jesus does in our heart. Uh, and future forward, the promises of glorification, where we will be uh, uh perfectly made into the the image and likeness of of Jesus in our resurrected bodies. That's the future hope. And the process in between is sanctification, right? Being conformed into the image of Jesus. Uh, And if we're all honest, none of us really enjoy sanctification because it's kind of a a process where God reveals to us just how broken, just how ugly, just how messed up there are about things about us and removes those as those things are changed. Uh, to follow what God has us to do. And in Methodism, uh, it was taught that if you followed a particular holiness method, that you would, uh, you could be perfectly sanctified in this life. I have yet to meet a Methodist that claimed that they were per- perfectly sanctified in this life. Um, but from that came the holiness movement, uh, which was all about holiness, and uh, that was ultimately what sparked the, the Pentecostal movement. Now the reason I bring all of this up is uh, most of the time when the subject of the Holy Spirit comes up, if you've been around churches in any length, you begin to think of when Holy Spirit is mentioned or Holy Ghost is mentioned, weird things might jump into your mind. You might um, you know, have a memory of attending a grandmother's church where somebody got up and started uttering 
nonsense out of their mouth. And people were, amen, yes, and all that. And then they sat down and then it moved on and you were just like... Did they just have a seizure? What I don't know. What just what just happened? Uh, and of course, in those environments, they would say, "Well, this is you know speaking in uh, speaking in tongues." Or you may have been at a a special service or something like that where somebody came forward and they were uh, had a, the Paul the pastor hit them on the forehead and they laid out on the ground and again looked like they were having a seizure. And they said, "Well, they are being slain in the Holy Ghost." Uh, or you might have somebody that in the middle of a service stands up. Uh, and says, I've just been baptized in the Holy Ghost. And this is what a lot of people think of when the term Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost um, is brought up. And so we have to ask the question, what, what is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is it about? And so we're going to take the authority of Jesus rather than the experience that we may have had in church life. What did Jesus say um, about the Holy Spirit and our uh, experience with him uh, in John chapter fourteen. It is in the final teaching time of Jesus, uh, and he's giving his kind of final words, right? And we know, as we think about Christianity, that really the Christian ethic is really simple, right? Christianity, what it is that we are called to do as Christians, is very, very simple. And Jesus laid it out for us as simply as possible. He said that we were to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, right? The, the great commandment, as it were, the, uh, the fulfillment of what is known as the Shema of the Old Testament, to love God and love people is what it means to be a Christian. That is the expression of what it looks like to follow Christ. And yet, we know just how hard it is to do those two simple things, right? To love God with everything that makes us us and to love our neighbor as ourself. We have a tendency to idolize things or people, or positions, or feelings, or anything else that we think will bring us ultimate happiness, we have a tendency to idolize those things to a position that only God deserves. And likewise, we have a tendency to caricaturize people of different persuasions than us in an attempt to feel superior and make them be less than us in some capacity. This is uh, everything from lying, cheating, racism, uh, unlovingness, anything that is in those kind of things. And these are just easy for us to do. Our, our, our heart naturally slips into our idolatry and our heart naturally slips into uh, a superiority nature as we interact with people around us. And so as we think about the simplicity of the Christian ethic, to love God and love people, and almost the insurmountable impossibility of doing that simple thing, how is it that we are to do what Christ asks us to do? How then can we know that we have landed in what Jesus says in this text, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. How can we know that? Well, take a look with me in John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 15. And go to the end of the chapter. John chapter 14 verse 15 reads, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you 
forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in in My Father, and you in Me, and I in you. He who has My commandments and keeps them is the one who loves Me, and he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and will disclose Myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, when will this happen that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I come and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. This is the Word of the Lord. When we think of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, or we think of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we think of the Holy Spirit uh, in terms when we read, I think sometimes we, we default to ideas about the Holy Spirit that are not biblical ideas. Some, some people refer to the Holy Spirit um, kind of like Jedi refer to the Force. Right, It moves in and out, and it's somehow this mythical thing that if we can capture it, and, and then it gives us power and it gives us the ability to, to do that. But it makes the Holy Spirit a thing rather than a person. See, the Bible, when it talks about this mystery of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's, again, one of those points of tension that the Bible uh, has for us. That there is one God... And three persons. And we are meant to hold that in right tension. If we lose that tension, we spring off into some kind of heresy or error that is not good. We, we end up in some kind of modalism where God the Father became God the Son and ceased to be the Father. And then He you know, changes from the Son to the Holy Spirit and, and ceases to be the Son and all this kind of craziness that is, again, not scriptural. Uh, or we go away where we think, well, there, there is no distinction. There's just one God and that's all that there is. And anything else is just kind of a manifestation of that one God. Now, the Bible teaches us that there is one God in three persons and each person of the Godhead 
is God, but is not the other. So the Father is God, but the Father is not the Son. And the Son is God, but the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And this distinction of what it is that God is about as He works in our life feels very confusing. It feels almost frustrating. And so the last 2,000 years, uh, the church has been wrestling with this idea. But one thing that is very clear is that Jesus said it was to our benefit that He go away so that the Father would send the Helper. The word that is used here of, uh, uh, in this passage that, that we translate helper, it's the Greek word paraclete. There is no really great way to translate it into one word, which is why, depending on which translation uh, you have, it'll have, it might say counselor, it might say uh, helper. Uh, it, it has lots of different translations for it. Uh, the reason is, what it means is, one who comes to your side in battle or at court. This helper that comes alongside you, either in a moment of conflict, in a moment of strife, in a moment of danger, and is that uh, uh, the cavalry coming up, if you will, the one that is coming to your side in aid in the battle, or as you stand in court before the judge uh, and are in danger of being accused, the helper comes in as your legal counselor is one that comes alongside you and brings you up and helps you in that moment of being in the court. And Jesus says that it is to our benefit that God sends Him to the disciples and to us to help us accomplish the very challenging, simple task of loving God and loving people. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't leave us as Christians to just try to wing it or figure it out. No, Christ sends the Holy Spirit by the Father to indwell our lives, as the Apostle uh, uh, Paul says later on, as a deposit, as a seal. If we ask the question, how do I know that I'm saved? The answer is, ultimately, because God has given the Holy Spirit to us as a promise that one day there's going to be a day when we are with the Father, we are uh, experiencing Him in completeness, and today we get to experience that in part by the down payment or the sealing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what exactly is the Holy Spirit doing in you and in me as we have trusted Christ, as we are abiding in Him, as we are seeking to keep His commandments and living differently in this world, what is it that the Holy Spirit is doing in us? Well, He gives us uh, five distinct elements of what the Holy Spirit does for us to help us see how is it that we can do this statement. Because it seems like verse 15 feels almost like a conditional statement. You guys familiar with conditional statements? Those are those if-then kind of statements, right? If this... Then this, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. And it feels very much like a conditional statement. And if we approach that as a purely conditional statement, then we have to go, oh no, right? Because all of us approach that then statement 
or sorry, that uh, that uh, that then statement of if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. And we go, I definitely have not done that. In my life, there are lots of times where I love other things vastly superior to God. And I idolize people or events or circumstances or notoriety or just pure safety or comfort. And I place those things upon the altar that only God deserves. And so we read that passage and a lot of times we can be very fearful. But the reality of this passage is that we're reading that passage wrong. We're reading it in, in, in our English language of an if-then kind of statement. But if you see this, the then... It, let's, let's jump from if-then statements of... of uh, you know, math problems and science and that kind of stuff to, to language arts, right? Uh, is then, uh, what, is then a future tense thing, present tense, past tense? What is then? Then always comes after, right? That's what a then means. It's an after, it's an after statement. So, but what we read this as is, if you keep my commandments, then you'll love me. Do you see that very clearly? That's how, we, that's how our sin nature naturally wants to read that passage of Scripture. If you keep my commandments, if you do this stuff, then love comes. Be obedient, then love happens. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is exposing the reality of a changed heart, of a heart that actually loves God, of a heart that has actually been brought from death to life. If you love me, if your heart has been changed and you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. Right, this, is the, this is the desire of every parent, right? We don't want our kids to obey us because they have to obey us. We want our children to obey us because we ask them to, right? We want our children to respond because of the trust that they have for us. Well, we've said, we've said this is good. We've said this is right. We've said this is beneficial to you. So because you love me, I hope that that produces obedience. But again, so much of our sin nature and so much of our experience of love in this world is conditional, right? Uh, the, the, the way in which we interact with friends, the way we've interacted with family, and it's in this flawed and broken world, so often we experience life in a, if you do what I want you to do, then love comes. And that is a conditional statement. But this statement is a radical statement. That if you love Jesus, then obedience comes naturally because of who He is and what He's done. And in the reality of that, Jesus says, if that's taken place, if your heart has been captivated by Jesus, 
And you've seen His love. You've seen His splendor. You've seen Him love you and me when we were not lovable. If you've seen that and been changed by Him, then in that He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. Paraclete. That one that comes alongside and strengthens you up in it. Now why does He do that? Well, because we've already said, being a Christian in the simplest ethic of loving God and loving people is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly hard. Every every fiber in our being wants to rail against that. And yet we've seen who Jesus is and we want to walk with Him. We want to grow in Him. We want to stay steadfast in Him. And so uh, Jesus sends to us via the Father, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you how long? What does verse 16 say? Forever. Again, this is not a conditional statement. The Holy Spirit is not something that is... You, you get it for a little bit and then he, you, know, you mess up and He takes it back and now you're on your own again and you've got to figure it out. It's all conditional. No, He says, if I've sent the Holy Spirit to you, He will be with you forever. What is that Spirit? It is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. This is the first aspect of uh, who the Holy Spirit is in us. He indwells you forever. The Holy Spirit is our promise. The Holy Spirit is our promise. One of the most profound truths that I've discovered in uh, being a follower of Jesus for... 33 years is that there's absolutely nothing that I can do today to make God love me any more than He already does. It's not conditional on my goodness. On my absolute best days and on my absolute worst days, Jesus loves me as much as love can possibly be given. And how do I know that? Because He said, I will give you the Helper and that He may be with you forever. It's a a profound thing when you think of the struggle that we have over sin. Whether that is sin of pride, sin of lust, uh, sin of... um, the fear of man, fear of or uh, the uh, pride of life, the the need the need of recognition, whatever that that per- pervasive sin is that you and I struggle with, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave in the midst of that. He's right there with us. And the profound nature of that is that in the midst of that battle, He is only a prayer away. In the midst of that struggle, we're just like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be in this worry. I don't want to be in this anxiety. I don't want to be in this lust. I don't want to be in this greed. I don't want to be in any of those things. Help! There He is. It's not a period of waiting. It's not a, okay, well, I need to study more. I need to have some kind of you know, flogging myself or whatever. To earn His favor. He's right there. That's the promise of Him being forever. That's what it means for Him to indwell us forever. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
Secondly, verse 17 tells us that He is the source of all truth. Look at that. He says, that is the Spirit of truth. And look at this. Whom the world cannot receive. Do you ever feel like, as you are speaking the truths of Scripture into this world, that the world just looks at you like you're an idiot? Maybe that's just me. But the reality of it is, the the truth of what God reveals about real truth, right? Not world's kind of love, or world's kind of forgiveness, or world's kind of justice, or world's kind of any of those things that feel positive, but when... Uh, God's revealed Word is held up against it. They just cringe against it. Well, it's right here. He says, the world can't receive it because it doesn't see Him or know Him. And so for us, when we anchor ourselves in the truth that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and we trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells in us and it becomes for us a functional red flag waiver to help us understand what is true and what is not. And we don't judge truth based upon our experience. We base our truth upon what is it that God said. And the Holy Spirit helps us walk in those things. Which leads us to the third part, that the Holy Spirit is the source of our truth, but He teaches us all things. Look there in verse uh, verse 26. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. It's really fascinating when you think about the way in which the world is changing. And the world is changing. There's no question about that. There are just new things being invented all the time. Uh, there's uh, new systems of government that are functioning. There's new medical procedures that happen. Like the world, you know, the world just seems to be moving so stinking fast. Um, two weeks ago, I guess uh, actually uh, one week ago, right now, uh, Shell and I were in Alice, Texas, visiting her 99-year-old grandmother, and so we were just sitting talking about like. So tell us what was life like back, you know, in the day, right? What was what was it like? When did you meet your, you know, when did you meet your husband? And uh, they they met uh, met right at the end of World War II and got married. Um, she was talking about her dad, who was in World War One, uh, who uh, contracted the uh, the Spanish flu. They thought he died. Pulled a sheet over him, left the room, and he pulled the sheet off of himself and walked out of the room. And I was going, that's medicine's a little different right now. Like we're we're when somebody's dead, we're pretty sure that they're dead now, right? All of those things. And so she was just talking about how uh, how much things have changed and she made an interesting statement. She said, you know, things uh, and shows other grandparents said the exact same thing. You know, things changed, you know, from the time I was born. Uh, but really in the 1970s things just rapidly started changing, right? I mean, just the, the explosion of technology and how that played into all kind of aspects of life and the ethics of how those things and all of that stuff, right? There's just new stuff all the time. And sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed with this world and we go, God, how do I, how do I deal with these things? How do I react to these? How do I, how do I respond to all this? And here's the answer. He says the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. It's not us relying on our own understanding, not us relying on our own selves, but trusting Him as He 
helps us walk through and navigate life. It's not like the day that you become a Christian. It's not like, remember the old movie, The Matrix, right? They plugged the thing in the back of your head and two seconds later you knew jujitsu, right? That's not the way that Christianity works. Like the day that you came to know Jesus, you didn't know the whole Bible. You didn't know all the theology. You didn't know all the terms. All you knew was that you were dead in your sins and trespasses and because of Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection and His sacrifice for you, you were changed from death to life. That's what you know. That's what you get with the moment that you uh, become a Christian. And every day after that is a growing opportunity. A day to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what it is that He has for us. And so we're going to encounter all kinds of situations that the Bible doesn't have a manual for. Right? There, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no page in the Bible that's like, this is what you do when you find out you got cancer. This is what you do when you find out when you're, that your spouse has been cheating on you. This is what you do when, you're, when your child is running off into sin. This is what you do when you find yourself uh, you know, uh, on the back end of a bad business deal. Right? There's none of that kind of how-to kind of stuff that's there. And so we ask the question, God, how am I supposed to live? And He says, I'll teach you. Just trust Me. Listen, ask, walk. He will teach us all things. But very closely associated with that, in the same verse there, he says, The Helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things, and what? Bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Here's the incredible part about this. God will never contradict Himself. He'll never undo the, re- the truth that He has laid out. I think this is a passage that expressly applies to the apostles. I mean, think about this. These were guys that walked with Jesus for three years. And I think Jesus probably said a whole lot of stuff, right? Which is why I think the Apostle John closed up the book of John by saying, and Jesus said many more things, and if all of those things had been written in, uh, had been written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain all the books that would be written about them. Right? That's a lot of stuff. And think about the pressure that the disciples had to feel. Right? We're the ones that heard Jesus, and then He said, now go tell everybody. And you're like, how many, if, if, if you know, students... If your teachers, if if your students had to relay everything that you said this last week, like and their lives depended on it, do you think they might might fail that task? Probably so, right? That's a huge burden that the disciples and Jesus says to them, "I want you to know this: the Holy Spirit's going to bring to your remembrance all that I've said." And for us, we say, "But I wasn't there. I wasn't listening." I believe everything that He told us for life and faith was given to us by what they said. This is why when we say He will teach us all things as we walk through this life and try to figure out what does Tuesday look like as a Christian? There's no manual for Tuesday. How do I, how do, I do this Christian thing uh, you know, at, this, at this tense moment in this particular situation? But the Holy Spirit will also bring to our remembrance all that He said. Now the point of remembrance is that you have to have been told it once 
to be able to remember it, right? That's the way that that's the way that remembering works. You have to experience or hurt it or whatever, and then later on you remember that that was there. So what that means for us is that we as Christians have a responsibility to not neglect the word, to grow in what it says. God does not become, you know, more displeased with us if we're not having quiet times. It's not like God is, you know, has a has a calendar that he's checking off and he's like, oh, I don't know, Jim didn't read his Bible this, you know, today, and you know, check those things off, as though God's some kind of holding a grudge against you on those. No, no, no. It's one of those where he's just going, Hey, listen, if you love me. As it is with anybody that we love, we want to get to know them more. And so we seek out time in His Word to grow in those things. And then we trust that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance, right when it's needed, what it is that we need to know in that situation. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Reminds you of all that Jesus taught. And Jesus will never contradict Himself. Whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in that just seems novel and new and strange and weird, Jesus has already taught us the basic fundamentals of how we need to approach that situation. And the fifth and final thing about what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives is He is the Spirit of unshakable peace. Look at verse 27. Jesus says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. If there's two commands that I think are the most challenging for us to possibly do under our own power, it's probably these. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. If we're left to do that on our own power, can you imagine? Don't be troubled by you know, strife at work. Don't, don't be troubled, or troubled by you know, family pressure or conflict that's going on. Don't be, don't be troubled by the, the political landscape. Don't be troubled by those things. And heaven forbid, be fearful of anything. Right? If you've got to accomplish those things on your own power... We're in trouble. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm telling you, just don't be troubled and don't be fearful. He says, no, no, no. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I love this. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. You know, the world has a definition for peace. When Jesus was on the earth, there was a period of what was uh, in, in historical terms was considered to be one of the most profound moments of peace in the world. It was known as the Pax Romana. The peace of Rome. And all that meant was Rome had their thumb on everybody. That's peace. The world's definition of peace is the absence of conflict. And that was never Jesus' definition of peace. Jesus told His disciples, be certain of this. In this world, you will have trouble. There's a reason why Paul had to pray for boldness. 
There's a reason why uh, the disciples had to, had to pray that the, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they would not falter and not fail. Because this world is going to be hard for them. Every now and again, I'll see a, a thing float around about the apostles, and it's, it's profound because... Do you know the only, the only apostle of Jesus to make it to old age? John. And that was after incredible persecution on his life that just didn't end his life early. All the other ones died on all kind of different continents in awful ways. How could they do that? Because they heard Jesus say, My peace I give to you. The pandemic has definitely caused trouble and fear. And even those concepts of uh, fear, of not living in fear, right, uh, has been abused in certain ways. And it's, it's marred the way that we are called to love God and love people to the rest of this world. That when we live in Christ's peace, It means that when we find ourselves in troubling situations, when we find ourselves in fearful situations, we're not overcome with those. And we don't idolize the absence of fear because that's idolatry. That would be us not loving God. We respond to it much in the same way of Job. As he says, Shall I not receive from God both good things and bad and in the midst of those bless His name that as the world looks at us He says uh, the world gives peace but it's not as I give it to you the world can take away peace I don't know if you guys are following what's going on in uh, with Ukraine right now and Russia. I mean, it's, we're on a knife's edge in that moment. And it's a unique thing for us living in America. It's on the other, I mean, it just, it's just news, right? It just, it's just on the other I mean, it's on the other side of the planet. It doesn't touch us. It's not, nobody's, they're, not, they're not fixing to cross our border. And so, uh, yeah, sure, do, you know, whatever. It feels indifferent to us. But think about the, our brother or sister in Christ that is there right now. They're in peace, but the world can take that away in a moment with a stroke of a pen or a click of a of a mouse uh, of a keyboard. Peace is gone. And yet, the promise of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is even in the midst of that. They have peace. It's interesting that Martin uh, had us praying for. The persecuted church. I um, showed Shell an article uh, this last in, in December, late December, in Mozambique. A uh, radical ISIS group stormed a church, and there was an African pastor and his wife that were in there, uh, and they killed him and decapitated him, and then forced the wife to carry his head to the police department. That's real. Real life, real world, 
And we think we're getting persecuted because the state of Alaska asks us to wear masks. And I'm going, what? What? No wonder the world looks at us and goes, yeah, they don't, they don't have a clue what's going on. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you to His disciples who would all horrendously die. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I told you before it happened, so that when it happens, you may believe. That's why Jesus told this to the disciples. He told them of this tragic event, both tragic and glorious event, so that when it took place, they would believe and they would be able to live the kind of life that they were going to need to live to be obedient to His command to take the Gospel to all peoples. And then he says in verse 31, he says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father. Think about that with me for just a moment. That the world may know that I, Jesus, that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. The submission of the Son to the Father for the purpose of the world knowing that the Son loves the Father. And I want you to look at the parallel of this. I do exactly as, or, uh, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Now look at verse 15 again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a parallel verse. And the subjects of those verbs that are in there have just been altered. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That the world may know that I love the Father, I am careful to do exactly as the Father has commanded me. If that feels confusing, the Holy Spirit gives us through this passage of Scripture, one absolute and complete rest. In verse 20, he says, in that day, when the culmination of all things, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I want you to see just how powerfully Jesus says, I've got you in this. Jesus ascended to the Father and was back at the right hand of the Father in that that perfect picture of union as He was from the beginning. That I am in the Father and you in Me and I in you. Perfectly held together. If you ever have to ask the question, is it possible once I'm saved, once I'm in Jesus, once I'm captivated in Him, that I can somehow be lost. This one verse can make absolutely no sense if that's possible. And how do we know that this is all true? 
is because of the love with which Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father that He revealed to us. Because that, that passage right there, once all of us were a part of this world. All of us were a part of this uh, world that hated God by word, by action, by deed, by inaction. Our actions of rebellion against God identified us as a part of this world. And in that, we saw Jesus' love for the Father. And we saw Him doing exactly as the Father commanded Him to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserved, and to pay the ultimate penalty of sin. And in that, we now love Him. And in that love for Him, we're called to follow His commandments. We have the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us do that. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And all of this is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit to walk with us, to help us, to bring to remembrance for us that which we've forgotten, to encourage us in this walk of life. The Holy Spirit is not some cosmic kook. Not some spiritual fanfare. Not some flourish of God. But it is God's indwelling to help us be who God made us to be. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for Your Word. Holy Spirit, I ask that You would help us to understand this. That God, all of us have something we need to be shaped and formed and fashioned in in this today. And so God, I pray that You would help us uh, to see that. Holy Spirit, ingrain this in our lives that this week as we step into troubling situations, as we step into fearful situations, that not because of the, ab- or the, uh, the absence of those things can we find peace, but we can have Your peace, Jesus, in the midst of those because we are held secure in You through all of it. And so God, we're just incredibly thankful that You haven't left us as orphans, that You're helping us to grow in the knowledge of Jesus as we walk towards that future day where all things are made set right and made new in you. We love you and shame we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.